had to run to us because we couldn't even walk. We were crippled spiritually. What, what great team. Thank you, Jennifer. We are in the book of Esther this morning, and for our reading, I want to read verses 12 through 17. So I ask if you'll stand in our great God's honor. Shall we read? When Esther's words were reported to Mordecai, he sent back this answer. Do not think that because you are in the king's house, you alone of all the Jews will escape. For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place, but you and your father's family will perish. And who knows but that you have come to royal position for such a time as this. Then Esther sent this reply to Mordecai, Go, gather together all the Jews who are in Susa, and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my maids will fast as you do. When this is done, I will go to the king, even though it is against the law. If I perish, I perish. So Mordecai went away and carried out all of Esther's instructions. Let's pray. Father, what courage. Thy beautiful lady on the outside, but even more beautiful on the inside. Thank you her example. Father, as we battle that giant of self, slaying the giant of self, that only comes by you. So I pray that as we continue in this worship service that you might speak through us because, Lord, we're hard-headed folk. Open our hearts. Open our ears. Lord, reveal yourself. And in Christ's name we pray. Someone has said, a man wrapped up in himself is a small package. Boy, it is true. It is so easy to be consumed, and voila, me, you know. And the truth is, there is a constant battle that arises from that. D.L. Moody, the evangelist of another time, says, if I could place the blame on the person who has made my life the most miserable, it would be D.L. Moody. At times, we are our own worst enemy because we're locked into this battle with ourselves. Uh, in Galatians 6, 7, and 8, we read this great statement. It says, Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. The one who sows to please the sinful nature, from that nature will reap destruction. But the one who sows to please the Spirit, from the Spirit will reap eternal life. And so there is this battle that occurs. Who will I listen to? As we look throughout history, there were different people who at a critical time would take a stand, and that made all the difference. Maybe it was a soldier maybe an inventor, maybe a statesman, maybe a missionary or a preacher of the word, you cannot discount how valuable one person is and how God can use one person to do great things for his kingdom and for his purposes. John Salisbury wrote, In 1645, one vote gave Oliver Cromwell control of England. 
1776, one vote gave America the English language instead of German. In 1845, one vote brought Texas into the Union. In 1876, one vote gave Rutherford B. Hayes the U.S. presidency. In 1834, one vote gave Adolf Hitler control of the Nazi party. And here we find a lady that you would not expect to save her whole people. She is a beauty queen who is being groomed to be more than attractive, irresistible to the king. And yet God would raise her up and do a work in her where she would turn from a person who got all the attention, who was the one who was groomed and petted and told how wonderful and beautiful and lovely she was to a person who was willing to stand in the gap on behalf of the people no matter what the consequences would be. I just want to go through first the national tragedy. Uh, turn me to Esther chapter 3. We're going to read verses. Let me read verse 13. Again, we'll read 13. Dispatches were sent by couriers to all the king's provinces with the order to destroy, kill, and annihilate all the Jews, young and old, women and little children, on a single day, the 13th day of the 12th month, the month of Adar, and to plunder their goods. And then down to verse 15, the couriers went out, spurred on by the king's command, and the edict was issued in the citadel of Susa, the king and Haman sat down to drink, but the city of Susa was bewildered. Persia conquered ancient Babylon at a time where Nehemiah, years earlier, was able to go back to Jerusalem. There had been 50,000 Jews that were sent to rebuild their broken city. Those Jews, most of them stayed in Jerusalem, but left behind in what is now Persia, 15 million Jews. And we think about the Holocaust. We think about the extermination power of, of Hitler in Nazi Germany as, as their desire was to exterminate 6 million Jews. And yet here, in this account of Queen Esther, 15 million Jews, their lives were in jeopardy. Someone needed to step up. In our country, uh, one of the most recent things I can think of is what happened in what we call 911 in New York City, where there was a catastrophe that occurred. And although we were aware of the fact that there were people across the globe who don't like us, who are angry with us, I don't think we understood to the extent that they want to really annihilate us from the face of the earth. And as we watched these buildings collapse, as we watched the suffering in almost unbelief, we realized it's a dangerous world. There are people against us. You realize that ancient Persia is today modern-day Iran. 
which happens to be the biggest sponsor of terrorism on the planet. Matter of fact, the guy who is in charge now, you know what his nickname is? The Butcher. Do I really need to go into more detail about what kind of guy this is? He's the Butcher. He's the guy who has no problem annihilating, killing people, taking their lives. As a matter of fact, uh, he refers to Israel as the little Satan and the United States as the great Satan. And his goal is to wipe from the face of the earth Israel, and he would also be very pleased to wipe away our country as well. If you remember uh, when 911 occurred, there's something about tragedy that brings people together. And there was a short time where people suddenly came back to church and where people began to think about how short life is and how we are all headed toward death and we don't know when a catastrophe could hit. We don't know when another terrorist might show up in our town or when something so terrible could happen. People's lives were stunned. And, and we vowed we would never forget that day and what happened. And then back in World War II, but we vowed we would never forget Pearl Harbor. And yet, as time goes by, there are many who have forgotten. Many who don't know anything about those tragic times as the years have passed. During the Feast of Purim, the Jews read the book of Esther in the synagogues as well. They read through the whole book of Esther. And they have a practice that when they come to the name of the villain of the story, Haman, they boo. Boo! Hiss! You know? <laughs> of course, I thought, why don't we cry that a little bit? You know, as we look in here, um, we discover the reason that Haman is so angry at Mordecai is that he, as they used to say where I grew up, he was too big for his shoes, too big for his britches, and he thought he was somebody, and others were to bow down in his presence. Well, Mordecai, like, no way, Jose. Oh, he probably didn't say that. He knows Spanish. <laughs> but anyway, he said, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to bow down. And so Haman hated and he thought, day and night, how can I get rid of not only Mordecai, but all these obnoxious Jews who refer to bow down to me? So with that in mind, chapter 3, verses 1 through 6, and help me out here. Whenever I read Haman, I'll have it up on the screen. Give me a good boo, hiss. And you know, we can even add to that, because Mordecai, he's the hero. He, he's the opposite guy. Maybe, yeah, woo, you know, give a little cheer for uh, Mordecai. So anyway, I know this isn't probably legal in the Baptist church. But we're a church of grace, so <laughs> let's have some fun. After these events, King Xerxes honored Haman. Boo, hiss! Good job. Son of Hamedatha, the Agagite elevating him and giving him a seat of honor higher than all of the other nobles. All the royal officials at the king's gate knelt down and paid honor to Haman. Boo, hiss! Woo! Terrible guy there. For the king had commanded this concerning him. But Mordecai, yeah! 
would not kneel down or pay him honor. Then the royal officials at the king's gate asked Mordecai, yeah, why do you disobey the king's command? Day after day they spoke to him, but he refused to comply. Therefore they told Haman, boo, hiss, about it to see whither Mordecai's yay behavior would be tolerated. For he had told them he was a Jew. When Haman, boo, his, saw that Mordecai, yeah, would not kneel down or pay him honor, he was enraged. Yet having learned who Mordecai's people were, yeah, he scorned the idea of killing only Mordecai, yeah. Instead, Haman, boo, looked for a way to destroy all Mordecai's people, the Jews, throughout the whole kingdom of Xerxes. Now, let me tell you something to be really fun. In the book of Esther, Haman's name is mentioned 51 times. What a church service! What a fun time. As a matter of fact, they also yell out a Hebrew phrase. I'm certainly no Hebrew scholar, so we didn't do that, but the Hebrew phrase basically means, may your name be blotted from the face of the earth. Because they also scream out about this villain, this guy whose desire was to destroy them, wipe them from the face of the earth. I also discovered this is also a phrase they used to refer to Adolf Hitler, which certainly makes sense. Let's go on uh, in our text, um, back to chapter. Well, it starts... uh, Chapter 4 at verse 9. Hathnach, who is a messenger that Mordecai used to give a message, because you've got to remember, there was a plan to wipe out all the Jews. Mordecai and Esther didn't know anything about this plan, and so he sent a, in between a messenger to give this message to Esther. Hathnach went back and reported to Esther what Mordecai had said. Then she instructed him to say to Mordecai, All the king's officials and the people of the royal provinces know that for any man or woman who approaches the king in the inner court without being summoned, the king has but one law, that they be put to death unless the king extends the gold scepter to them and spares their lives. But 30 days have passed since I was called to go to the king. So here you have Esther She's basically this beauty pageant contestant uh, competing to be the next queen and trying to impress the king with her beauty and grace. And uh, basically she says, uh, Cousin Mordecai, I've got this uh, issue. I haven't seen the king in like 30 days. I don't know if I have any favor with him or not. And and you know what happens if the king doesn't like you, (laughs) you know? Matter of fact, what happened to the previous king, I mean queen, Queen Vashti, was the king got kind of tired of her. And so he came up with this plan to dequeen her, dethrone her. And then that's what this whole search for a new queen was all about. So there was a great risk to her. This was not an easy decision. She had, she had to think this through because here she is, a lady that's, constantly being pampered to bring out her beauty 
and to make her as attractive as possible. And, and now all of a sudden, instead of being pampered, instead of being asked to receive all the attention, she is being asked to be selfless, to totally give herself, to take a big risk, a, a chance that could cost her her very life. Made me think of uh, other quotes like Patrick Henry. Remember, he said, Give me liberty or, or give me death. He said, My liberty means so much to me, I'm willing to die. Or, or listen to this longer quote I have to read from Winston Churchill during uh, the dark days of World War II. He said, The whole fury and might of the enemy must very soon be turned on us. Hitler knows that he will have to break us in this island or lose the war. If we can stand up to him, all Europe may be free and the life of the world may move forward into broad, sunlit uplands. But if we fail, then the whole world, including the United States, including all that we have known and cared for, will sink into the abyss of a new dark age made more sinister and perhaps more protracted by the lights of perverted science. Let us therefore brace ourselves to our duties and so bear ourselves that if the British Empire and its commonwealth last for a thousand years, men will say this was their finest hour. You know, it would be so easy for Esther to say, eh, maybe we just need somebody else to step up here. You know, I, I'm not qualified for this job. I, I can't do this. I mean, where is God in my life? Why would God ask me to do something so dangerous? John Nelson Darby once said, God's ways are behind the scenes, but he moves all the scenes which he is behind. God is at work even when we don't see him, even when we don't feel him, even when he appears to be absent, he is there. As a matter of fact, it is interesting. In the book of Esther, the name of God is not mentioned. It's only a book in the Bible where the name of God is not mentioned, but God is throughout the whole book. He is orchestrating circumstances for his glory. He is taking unlikely candidates and elevating them to positions to make an impact for his glory. Three important truths uh, in, a, in the text here. Um, first, he says to her in verse 13, don't think because you're in the king's house, you're, you know, you're saved. In other words, your position won't guarantee your protection. Mordecai is saying to Esther, just because you're there in the kingdom doesn't mean you're going to continue to be safe. After all, you are a Jew, and sooner or later they are going to find out your heritage, and you're going to be in trouble. Second truth, your silence won't prevent our deliverance. He says in verse 14, if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place. In other words, God is not dependent on just me or just you. Believe it or not, he is big enough to carry out his will in other ways. It doesn't have to be merely our plan in the work that he is doing. And then one last one here from the text. Your prominence is God's providence. In other words, Esther, it is no accident that you are where you are right now and could it be for such a time as this. Maybe you're asking yourself, why do I have this job? 
Why am I in this particular circumstance in my life? Why am I facing this challenge or this struggle? God is at work. It may be for such a time as this, it may be that he is getting ready to do something unexpected in your life and through your life. Someone has said, often big doors swing on small hinges. Maybe we feel like small hinges, but our God is an awesome God. A big God that is ready to work, even through little people. <laughs> now, her bravery. Let's look at that. Uh, turning down to verse 15, uh, Esther sent this reply to Mordecai. <laughs> Go gather together all the Jews who are in, who are in Susa and fast for me. <laughs> she says, hey, for three days and three nights, get before God. I need wisdom. I, you know, I, I need help. She's smart enough to realize that you know, I'm not alone. I, I need to cry out to God. I, I need other God-fearing people to pray for me. And we all still need that today. That is so crucial. She goes on and she says, when this is done, uh, this time of fasting, this time of prayer, she says, I will go to the king, even though it is against the law, and if I perish... She understands this is not just about me. This is bigger than me. And yet, my life counts. My life plays a part in this. This is my role. She was convicted that this was her time. And this was her call. And this was her task. That she was to go before the king. And she understood it might not end up like I wanted to end up. But this is what I have to do to step out in obedience you know when God begins to really get a hold of us we move from having to have all the attention to giving attention to other people of not just thinking about how can my needs be met to Lord how can you use me to meet other people's needs how can you use me to actually help somebody else you know as it says in the Luke 6.31, verse is famous all over. Do to others as you would have them do to you. Same the golden rule. God begins to work in us and, and, and allows us to not be so entrenched in self, which is where we tend to be. I, you know, I often love to say, man, just like a fish doesn't know he's wet, we don't know we're selfish, that we're sinners, that we're broken. We... Man, we're just, we're just so consumed in self that we don't often see a Savior and a need for a Savior. And He's there. He's there through the whole time and He wants to get our attention. He was able to get a hold of Esther's heart for her to see something bigger than just herself. And, and He began to work through Esther. It made me think of a Philippians 2, 3, and 4, which says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition... Or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but to the interests of others. And Esther was able to make that change in her life. She was able to move away from how is this going to impact just me and think about others. 
uh, going back to nine one one, I was looking up occurrences of, of heroes in all that devastation with buildings collapsing and and uh, all these incredible stories. And I want to share with you one story I I found. It, it's called. Uh, it speaks about the men of the Ladder Six Company, which was a firefighter company out of Chinatown in New York City. Uh, they rushed up an emergency stairwell of the Trade Center's North Tower on September 11th when the floor began to quake. Lights flickered overhead, and then other firefighters came to join in as they were then ordered uh, to turn around at the 27th floor and ahead for the exit because the building was definitely going to collapse. But when they arrived at the 20th floor, they found a lady by the name of Josephine Harris who had already come down 50 flights of stairs by herself, and she was totally exhausted. And although it was very dangerous and although time was of the essence, they were firefighters. So they decided, even though it would slow them down, they had to help Miss Harris. And so they slowly began to make their way down the stairs, much slower than obviously they would have preferred. And then the unthinkable happened. The building, the tower, began to collapse. And I want to just read to you, uh, this is just part from that article. It says, when the North Tower fell, it peeled away like a banana around a tiny section of stairs. Only the small bit of twisted stairwell around the firefighters was left standing, protecting them from being crushed. If the firefighters hadn't slowed to help Miss Harris, they would have been killed. They had saved Harris, and she had saved them. She became known as the Angel of Ladder Company. Sometimes what we think God is doing, that certainly would be our guess and our demise, is in his plan. Sometimes we can't see clearly. Uh, a number of years ago, we went on a mission trip up to Pennsylvania with a group of people. Um, we actually went to where the plane went down in Pennsylvania that was aimed toward the Capitol building. Remember Todd Beamer, as one of these uh, several brave people on that plane, the last words of Tom, Todd Beamer were, let's roll. As they went, knowing they would go down, but they would rescue many people at the Capitol. The plane would crash, but they were thinking not only about their own lives, but the other lives that would be impacted. Like Esther, we need to live for something bigger than just me. We need to have a passion for something bigger than just my schedule and my life. And of course, we know as believers in Jesus Christ, that is ultimately tied to the gospel, to the good news of Jesus Christ. Because people need God, and God is not standing at a distance. He has come near, and that is what the story of the cross is about. And that is what the celebration of Easter last week that we enjoyed together is about, is that He is alive. And because He lives, you and I have hope for tomorrow and hope for today. 
Let me close with a story from Abraham Lincoln. It's one of the toughest phases of the Civil War. And in order to try to find comfort, he went to church. After church, uh, one of uh, the, the people on his staff asked him, he said, well, what did you think of church? He said, well, I'm glad to be here. He said, what, what about the pastor's sermon? Did, did you enjoy it? I want to read you his words. He said, well, the preacher was clear. His points were logical. I'm sure he was very sincere. So, you thought it was a good sermon? Lincoln said, no, I think you failed. He did not ask of us something great. He gave us information, but he didn't ask us to do something with it. He didn't ask us to apply something to our lives that would be great. Guys, we need to stop just spending our lives, just living our lives only for personal benefit. We need to start investing our lives in what lasts forever, in others, in something that outlives us. That is what Esther demonstrated for us, and that is still the call for all of us today. We are called not merely to get saved and, you know, that's the end of it. No, when we're saved, it's the start of a new life where self doesn't have to be in control, where the Spirit of God is available to us. I love Galatians 5.16. I learned a long time ago in that translation, that's a paragraph, the Amplified Bible, where he tells us, he says, um, that we are to walk and live by the Spirit of God. We are not to be consumed by that sinful nature. We're, we're not to follow that nature which seeks to control us. But rather, we're to be responsive to and controlled and guided by the Spirit of God. God makes himself available to us that we don't have to just live eating crumbs. But we can live for the master at his table. Lord, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the example of Esther. Father, I thank you, a lady that we would look at and say, she has no depth about her. Or would that be me? Father, you know, maybe people view me that way. He has no depth about her. I hope they do. Father, do a work in me, do a work in all of us that we would see Jesus and that would make all the difference. Then we could see others and then we can live for something beyond ourselves. Uh, Father, what a giant to slay. Only by you can that giant fall. <laughs> so, Lord, as we respond to you this time we call invitation, we are so grateful to share celebration of David and his life with you. Father, maybe there's others here who have been running from you. They don't know about you, but for whatever reason, they've not trusted you. And you, you love us, Lord, unconditionally. It does no good to try to avoid you. All you really want to do is just, Father, call
call us to you this morning. If there's someone here that just needs to say yes to you, uh, to follow you, Lord, to let you change and forgive them, and, and then to also enter those baptismal waters to show us that they really had a, a meeting with Jesus and they weren't all rejected. You know, to be baptized but with Christ, uh, to death, raised to life and glory. And so, Father, we commit this time to you, Lord. And Father, just move among us, Lord. If it's to come pray at the altar, make a decision on the altar, or to share with your people, make a decision before you come forward. Lord, we just want to follow you. So be with us. In Christ's name.